Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. So excited to have you with us today. Katrina is coming to us from a brand spanking new, lightning fast, state-of-the-art computer. Yeah, I am. It's incredible. (laughs) Last time when we were recording, it was so funny because we hit record to do the lay of Eliduk, which, Jeff, listen, do you know something funny that happened in the middle of the episode? I do, but tell me again. (laughs) That halfway through the episode, it is so funny, halfway through the episode, I was like, Wait, was it Ella Duke or Ella Duck? And you were like, I think it was Ella Duke. And I was like, I think it was Ella Duck. And you were like, I don't know. And I was like, it's Ella Duck. And then the rest of the time, Ella Duck. I had to leave in the portion where you and I had that back and forth conversation <laughs> Just, so that people could understand. That we got confused. Yeah, how it changed. <laughs> I love that. But anyway, we uh, we hit record for the lay of Ella Duke and my computer, my laptop that I've had for the last seven years died. It, it was like, nope, can't do it, won't do it, refuse. Uh, it died. And we had to pause and wait a day to get a different computer. Well, we were trying to fix the laptop, but then get really quickly a different computer that would do for like the next day. Yeah. And then we sorted it out, obviously, and we made the episode, but it came out later than I would have liked, which, which is yeah, fine. And it's like, because we recorded later and also like, it yeah. does not take a very high tech, very like powerful computer to record audio, but to edit yeah. audio, you can have some problems. So that was yeah. so, part of the So too. the fact that my computer couldn't even record <laughs> yeah. that first day. Yeah. But it was easier to get a low powered computer right. to do the recording but yeah then i had to wait but i want to give a little eulogy to my laptop may it rest in peace is in the landfill (laughs) so about seven years ago my last laptop was dying and my husband and i were in the middle of paying back some like major major medical bills he had been in the hospital for two months I had had to have an emergency C-section two months early. And so my daughter was in the NICU for five weeks. So like major medical bills, major Three-fourths of their family was hospitalized at the same time. Yeah, not even at the same hospital. And not even at the same hospital. That's the best slash worst part. Yeah. It made for some like funny conversation with the nurses who couldn't understand why my husband wouldn't show up to (laughs) the birth of his daughter. Oh, he might be dying in another hospital, so couldn't make it. Sorry. Yeah, I'll (laughs) I'll call him about this later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! And I'll probably have to call him several times to remind him about it because he's on so much pain medication. (laughs) He won't remember. So we were all out of the hospital in this like one laptop that I had had for since like my graduation. It was like a gift when I graduated from high school or kind of an incidental. My parents knew I was going to college. They gave me a laptop, but I had had it for quite a long time, but it was dying. 
And I didn't know what to do because we definitely did not have money and it was our only computer. And my sister told me to make a GoFundMe to see if I could crowdsource some laptop money, even though I felt really embarrassed to ask for money, especially I felt like, oh, this is asking people for money for like a luxury. And my sister was like, how about you just let people decide if they think that it's a luxury when everybody in your life knows what's been like going on. And my friends came through for me, including Jeff's parents and his in-laws. Lots of my friends chipped in some money. Some people like a lot. Some people uh, like, you know, just whatever they could give. And I was able to buy this laptop that I have had for the last seven years. And it has carried me through so many different projects, including this podcast. And so I want to say thank you to so many of the people who got me through the darkest part of my life and into some of the happiest days of my life. Luckily, I'm in a completely different place in my life now, and I don't have to crowdsource funds for a new computer. I already have a new computer. And we can record and edit, and it's going to be wonderful. The podcast goes on. Just as I had stated in our last episode, not my fantasy podcast. We were guests on their podcast. The audio version had come out. They have a YouTube version. Our beautiful faces were recorded and displayed for all the world to see, but that was not available yet. But it is now. So if you go to the Not My Fantasy Podcast YouTube page, you can see our episode and our beautiful faces. Um, which may be a treat, may not be a treat. I don't know. I guess I was going to say, we don't really show our faces a lot on here, which is true because we mostly put it out in audio, but we do an Instagram live every now and again, which does have a recorded version with our faces too. So I don't know. If you want to see what yeah. our voices sound like coming out of our face holes, you can do that. Yeah. So we have a fifth Friday Fable Fest coming up on March 31st at 8.30 p.m. Our patrons on Patreon are going to select our topic. Love it. They have some really good ones to choose from if you're one of our patrons. And if not, it's not too late to join up and influence the direction of our future Fifth Friday Fable Fest and either delight us, as our patrons have done in the past, by selecting some of our favorite pet topics to discuss or you can be a source of chaos and disruption and try to make us just talk about ridiculous things instead the power is yours the power of the patron what are we talking about today let's get into our episode yeah the topic for the day has been on our list of episodes for about a year last year before we decided to take listener requests which we still have more of those <laughs> that we'll be doing uh, next month. We're never going to stop with the listener requests. That's true. That is true. And so, yeah. Also, yeah, if you still have listener requests, let us know. Or if you sent a request and you are afraid that I have completely forgotten about it, which is highly likely, let me know. Because sometimes I will check like email or Instagram or whatever, and I'll see something and be like, oh, that's amazing. I'll reply to somebody and I forget to write it down in a secondary location and I will lose track of it. So that's just who I am as a person. But before that project of listener requests last year was decided, one of the ideas for a project was kind of a ladies of folklore project. We had even considered doing like story collectors regardless of gender, but I'm kind of glad that we didn't do that project because this super weird thing happened last year that we haven't addressed at all on the podcast. A book came out last year that is called The Fairy Tellers. No relation. 
no relation to us, like at all. Uh, so a book came out called The Fairy Tellers, and it was a book about people who collected and retold folk tales. So you would think, you know, like I think Antoine Galan was one of the people like that was covered in it. Uh-huh. Um, like the Grimm's brothers, Charles Perrault. And it told the story of those people, like kind of their life story and a little bit like about them, which great idea for a book. Love the title. Yeah. Fire. But yeah, it might have been a confusing project for us to do while that book was coming out <laughs> yeah. with the same title as our podcast. Um, so it all worked out. For the record, yeah, we had nothing to do with the making of that book. I'm sure that they had a team of publicists that came up with that title name. <laughs> I hope they didn't focus group it too hard. <laughs> Just kidding. It's because it's a brilliant name and only geniuses would have thought of it. Exactly. But anyway, on our list of important folklorists and collectors of tales, we had Zora Neale Hurston. She was a folklorist, anthropologist, and a very accomplished author. She was ahead of her time and an absolute visionary. We've talked about her in past episodes. In 2020, way back then, we talked about her in our voodoo episode, episode 15, But we mentioned Zora Neale Hurston back then because of her work with voodoo, both as an anthropologist doing ethnography work and participant observation, like with voodoo, which is super fascinating. We also talked about her in episode 25 when we were talking about Splash Mountain, Song of the South, and Joel Chandler Harris. But we haven't really talked about this incredible woman since then And not nearly enough. Yeah. So everybody get excited. If people are unfamiliar with her work as an author, I'm so sorry. You're missing out. Last year, I read Their Eyes Were Watching God for the first time. It was breathtakingly beautiful. It was nutritious for the soul. For me personally, I don't know. Maybe somebody else would read it and be like, oh, this doesn't do it for me. I find her writing so gorgeous. It speaks to my soul. One thing that Zora Neale Hurston is amazing at doing is writing dialogue that sounds like people talking, like actual people having a conversation, which brilliant. But then also her prose are extremely poetic, gorgeous writing. I could go on because (laughs) I just I love her writing. But the dialogue especially is something that I really love about her writing in Mules and Men and also in Every Tongue Got to Confess, Negro Folk Tales from the Gulf States. Those are books that she wrote that are based on her ethnography work instead of fiction stories as an author. Uh So she was doing her postgraduate work with Franz Boas, who is considered the father of anthropology in the United States. Incredible man. We'd be wandering off in another direction entirely to dwell on him too much. But Franz Boas really believed in getting insider perspectives on different groups of people to understand their cultures. (laughs) At the time, that was like groundbreaking. Which it's... That that you should... (laughs) understand people based on like their own understanding of like themselves them explaining their own culture getting an insider view yeah and and also doing ethnography where you go and stay with a group of people and really invest in getting to know them which i know it seems crazy right now like to us to think 
That was groundbreaking. Yeah. It's like shameful that that was groundbreaking. Yeah. Because before then, typically you had really well-to-do white men coming into groups and then giving their perspective on what they witnessed. Let me tell you all about yourselves. And that's only if they actually went to the place. <laughs> right. Because for a while it was people being like, oh, here's some stuff that I've heard other people talk about from that area. Uh-huh. Like, but I've never been there. But Franz Boaz felt like it was very important to get the insight of the people from themselves. Go Franz. So he saw Zora Neale Hurston as a great opportunity to get to know a lot of African-American groups in the United States, especially in the South. Zora Neale Hurston was an African-American woman. Both sets of her grandparents had been born into slavery. Oh, man. That's how not far removed this time was from American slavery. And she had grown up for the most part in Eatonville, Florida. And the idea was for her to go to some of these communities that she was already a part of, especially in Eatonville, Florida, Uh and like incorporate that idea of getting insiders of a culture to gather ethnographic information. Like people feel more comfortable when somebody who's one of them is talking to them. But also Zora Neale Hurston was a brilliant, introspective, insightful person. She was very articulate. And so she was like, a perfect candidate to do everything that needed to be done. So in the introduction to Mules and Men, Zora Neale Hurston says, I was glad when somebody told me you may go and collect Negro folklore. In a way, it would not be a new experience for me. When I pitched head foremost into the world, I landed in the crib of Negroism. From the earliest rocking of my cradle, I had known about the capers, Br'er Rabbit is apt to cut, and what the squince owl says from the housetop. But it was fitting me like a tight chemise. I couldn't see it for wearing it. It was only when I was off in college, away from my native surroundings, that I could see myself like somebody else and stand off and look at my garment. Then I had to have a spyglass of anthropology to look through at it. I love the way that she writes. Just absolutely. And also, I love that sentiment that when we grow up with our own culture, it's hard to see it. It's hard to see it as culture because it's just the way things are. It's just life. And she was able to bring then like the two things like like there is a little bit of like a consolation. It's a little bit of a consolation to like the people from before when they were like, oh, we need are looking at it from the outside so that we can like study it in the sense of like, yeah, it is hard from just as any individual person living in a culture. It's hard to really have a a, a super clear ver- vision of what your culture is because like you like yeah. put so like eloquently, it's like just really hard to see it. But she was able to have both perspectives. Like she was part of the culture. She was a person, yeah. but then she also went out and kind of got like, you know, like the training and experience and whatever, and just like developed that ability to, to also see it from someone else's point of view and know how to yeah. go about like collecting in a way that could be both authentic and scholarly and contributing in, in, in that way. And I don't know. And we're just so lucky that she was able to do that, I think. Yeah, like that she was perfectly positioned to do that because. When we leave our own culture 
and we discover other people and how they live. If you're lucky to do that, I'm realizing like more and more in my life, how many people that that's not the given. Yeah. And they don't even necessarily like want to do that. They don't want to leave the culture that they're in. They're enjoying. Yeah. Just living there. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But once, once we leave and dis- and discover other people and how they live and they think suddenly we can see ourselves better. And she had that training that you're talking about. Like she had, not only did she leave to go and experience like other life events and happenings and groups and whatever, but also she had a training as an anthropologist as well. And so she knew how to talk about culture. She suddenly, you know, could look at people talking and be like, oh, the conversations that you're having outside of the store are of value. They deserve to be written down. And she felt that way because she had been trained as an anthropologist. To be able to have that outside perspective. Because that's one of the things that's the saddest is like, as an insider, we all think, and it's like even being on a podcast that's about folklore and fairy tales and whatever, I'm like, oh, it's just a shame we don't have any like folklore and folktales like nowadays. It was like, that's not true. That's so wrong and not true. It's just like the situation that she's talking about. Like, I'm just in it so I can't see it. So it's like, it's not important to me. We've talked about this podcast all the time about all these like folk tales and fairy tales and they were collected and it's just like they were kind of like looked down upon in a way because no one thought they were important enough to collect because they didn't realize that it's like, oh, this is something that's like kind of special to us, like this story or the way that we tell this story or the way that we do this thing, like until you have something else to compare it to. Yeah. You just think this is the way it is. Yeah. I always think about like, you know, learning another language, like in school like learning spanish or when i like learn japanese or whatever like i learned so much about english through learning another language it was like oh these things that we're doing like conjugating verbs it's like it is different but it's like seeing how it's done in another language you're able to see like how it's done in your language like oh we actually do the same thing but i don't even think about it and this is what's going on you can like kind of see more like these like the invisible rules that you just know as a native speaker of whatever language that other people have to learn you're like oh there are rules that we're following we just do it so you know naturally yeah because we've that's what we were brought up learning one thing that i thought was really interesting that you were talking about was how people will think oh like i don't really have like culture i don't have a we don't do anything like that there's this quote from zora neale hurston where she says Folklore is the boiled down juice of human living. It does not belong to any special time, place, nor people. No country is so primitive that it has no lore, and no country has yet become so civilized that no folklore is being made within its boundaries. What she's talking to right there is also an interesting thing with Franz Boas. Because like when she is talking about the no country is so primitive, no country has yet become so civilized. She is talking about the evolutionary approach to looking at anthropology. There was this idea for a while that as countries became more quote unquote civilized, they would have less folklore and more literature and Uh stuff like that, that they felt like, oh, there's this natural progression And that you need to go to these like primitive communities to write down their folklore because as they become more civilized, we're going to lose it. And it gives us a key into our own past to know what we were probably like when we were primitive. Uh Obviously, that's very problematic. Yeah, That's not 
how anthropology is approached anymore. But at the time, Franz Boas was arguing against like that kind of thinking and getting pushback yeah. from that because he felt very much like that wasn't true. That didn't hold true. That didn't work. And so it's interesting that she also, you know, is like quoted as saying that like no country is so primitive that it has no lore and no country has yet become so civilized that no folklore is being made within its boundaries. That like right. all of us, regardless of whatever are, because there is also like savage uh-huh. was another level of the evolutionary. Pro- I'm so sorry. <laughs> These are all horrible words. But yeah, it's at, at no point do we not have lore, do we not have culture, are we not influenced by these things? But be, if we're too close to it, if it's fitting us like that tight chemise, like we don't see it on ourselves. And it isn't until you stand back yeah. and look at it from kind of an outside perspective that you suddenly are like, oh, we do that too. Yeah. We do it this way and this is why we do it. Why do you do the thing that you do? Yeah. And in these quotes, just these couple quotes that you've shared too, it's like both amazing examples of how great of a writer that Zora Neale Hurston is and just like an intelligent person as well. Like she's making very good, interesting, communicating very good, interesting ideas in like such a smart and like beautiful way and also a savvy way. Like even her use of primitive and civilized, like in the sentence that she's using it, she's using those words obviously because that's like what other anthropologists would be used to having heard, you know, in whatever training that they had had. And even though even if it was was changing at the time, it'd be things that people were familiar with. But she was using those words to like undercut the validity of that way of thinking too. You know what I mean? Like very specifically, it was like, I'm using these words and pointing out that that whole like way of looking at the world is not accurate. And then doing it in like a beautiful way too is like, man perfection she is brilliant and i feel like i don't that it's obvious that she was undervalued at the time because she was a black woman yeah which is so frustrating because it's also like the reason why it she was as influential and important as she was and what like why it's so influential that we have this stuff now is because she was like in the perfect place this is why i say like she was above her time and I'm so glad that like Alice Walker has done a lot to push publishing a lot of her work, uh, Zora Neale Hurston's work that wasn't published at the time that she was alive and also like amplifying because she should be a figure. I feel like that anybody who is studying the United States, especially like if you're studying the history of Florida you should probably know who Zora Neale Hurston is. Do you, what do you think the chances are that uh, Florida is going to have a curriculum where they talk about how influential this African-American woman oh was? Oh my gosh. Unfortunately, that that's like, that's so messed up that that's a question for you to ask. I will proudly say though, I do remember learning, I did not uh, grow up in Florida even, yeah. but I do remember learning about Zora Neale Hurston and we read, I don't know if it was one of her books or if it was like, you know, stories from something, but like we read stuff from Zora Neale Hurston in like my high school, you know, US history class. So this podcast was not my first exposure and gladly, hopefully it won't be my last. So Zora Neale Hurston went to Eatonville, Florida first. It was a going back home of sorts. That is where she grew up the majority of her growing up years. The timeline of her growing up, her education is a little interesting because I because this is a folklore and fairy tale podcast, this will 
be, be ironic that she had a stepmother who she did not get along with and her stepmother <laughs> as she was getting older wanted her to leave and get out of the house and so she ended up moving somewhere else changing kind of her her birthday information so that she could go back to high school mm-hmm. and finish her education there and then go on to college so yeah her the history of her life and education, the route that she took, was a little all over the place. In the introduction to Mules and Men, she says, Folklore is not as easy to collect as it sounds. The best source is where there are the least outside influences. And these people, being usually underprivileged, are the shyest. Which is exactly why she was the kind of person that like was perfect for the job. She also noted another obstacle to like a white man coming to collect folklore from African-Americans. And it was basically that black people didn't trust white people because Uh obviously trust is earned. It had not been earned. I would argue in some respects it still has not been earned. And Miss Hurston herself says... The Negro, in spite of his open-faced laughter, his seeming acquiescence, is particularly evasive. You see, we are a polite people, and we do not say to our questioner, get out of here. We smile and tell him or her something that satisfies the white person because, knowing so little about us, he doesn't know what he's missing. The Negro offers a feather bed resistance. That is, we let the probe enter, but it never comes out. It gets smothered under a lot of laughter and pleasantries. The theory behind our tactics, the white man is always trying to know into somebody else's business. All right, I'll set something out of the door of my mind for him to play with and dawdle. He can read my writing, but he show show can't read my mind. I'll put this play toy in his hand and he will seize it and go away. Then I'll say my say and sing my song. What's interesting too about that quote is the part that's he can read my writing, but he sure can't read my mind. She also at one point said that about Franz Boaz. Oh. Because like as open-minded as he was, she also knew that he couldn't fully understand her fully as a person and her experience as a black woman. And I find it so interesting that she starts, this is the introduction to Mules and Uh Men. So she like starts off this book by saying that basically like one of the reasons why it would be so difficult for a white man to come and do this work is because the community isn't going to open up to them and truly say what's on their mind. They're not going to get stories about old Massa. No, especially if these people felt like somebody was coming just to write down their stories like a Joel Chandler Harris yeah. situation, write down their stories and then get rich off of it. Like do who knows what with it. They're just going to say, okay, I see you're here to collect some stories. Here's a little tidbit for you, something to play with to seize upon and then just go yeah. away. And then I can say my say and sing my songs. So it's just Zora Neale Hurston in that quote. I just feel like she's so insightful, truly. It's interesting It's interesting because while some insiders might be really good at explaining in detail how something is done, sometimes they aren't the best at explaining why something Uh is done. Or they might know a superficial why, but not a very insightful reason. And I think 
This is all of us to some extent. We might know that a story or a tradition is important to our culture, but we can't quite articulate why it's yeah. important. But Zora Neale Hurston, she's very insightful in this mm. way. And I, I really felt that, like reading that quote, her explaining kind of like why she is going to be a good person to be collecting this work and basically like why it's important to have an insider perspective into other people's cultures. So at the beginning to Meals and Med, continuing, she introduces really well a topic that we're going to be talking about (laughs) that I love. She says, this is as she's getting closer to Eatonville, Florida, and she's thinking about the work that she's about to do. It says, I thought about the tales I had heard as a child, how even the Bible was made over to suit our vivid imagination, how the devil always outsmarted God, and how that over-noble hero Jack or John outsmarted the devil. So this idea of remaking the Bible or playing with like biblical characters is something we've talked about on the podcast before. How when religion gets forced upon like a group of people, they will kind of play with it and make it their own thing or even add kind of like apocryphal stories or take the characters from a mythology and add them to their own stories. And we're going to be talking about two of those stories today, which are really interesting. And we get to talk about how the ethnography work that Zora Neale Hurston did was very interesting, especially for the time period that she was doing it. So when she was compiling the book, Mules and Men, and also, I believe, Every Tongue Could Confess, she was being sponsored by a patron to get this published as a book. She had a wealthy white woman who was kind of giving money towards the project to get it up and running and to make it less boring, like an ethnography that is written very like dry of like, Oh, here's just a collection of the things that I found. What she did was she put kind of conversations between the stories or what was going on, things that they did, other activities that happened, like dances that were happening, the farm work that was taking place, how people would get paid, where they would spend their money, stuff Uh like that, that she would like add in between. In the annotated African-American folk tales book compiled and edited by Henry Louis Gates Jr. and Maria Tatar, There's a quote says, interestingly, Hurston explained to Franz Boas that she had inserted the between story conversation and business for pragmatic reasons. Without it, every publisher said it was too monotonous. But what it did was it created this very interesting kind of like whole picture to what was going on, where instead of having, we've talked about before about how like the stories are taken out of context sometimes where you are like, oh, here's a story that was collected from a group in Ghana. But all you have is just this one story. You don't have like the context of who told it? Why did they tell it? Is this story traditionally told for entertainment or for education? Like 
None of that is included in that. But because Ornia Hurston was writing her book this way to kind of make it less monotonous by adding what was going on, what they were doing, what conversations they were having around the story, she was able to capture these really interesting bits of context to what was happening. Even if it is argued that some of it is combinations of conversations that had happened or, you know, it's not like a straight transcript of something that took place. There's reason to believe that it might have been, you know, like she took kind of a whole picture situation and combined them all together to make it a cohesive, cohesive conversations and point by point. But still you get this picture into a community instead of just these standalone stories. And that's important context to know for the stories that Jeff and I are going to be telling, because we're going to be telling these two stories that are kind of in the middle of a conversation. And they are when God first put folks on earth and why women always take advantage of men. So there are two versions of a folk tale, and one was told to Zora Neale Hurston by a male informant and the other by a woman. So Jeff is going to be retelling the first one from the male informant. When God first put folks on earth. So when God first put people, folks, on earth, there was no difference between men and women. They were exactly alike. They did the same work. And the man eventually got tired of all the like arguing back and forth about who's going to do what around the planet, you know, especially like around the household. And so he went up to God and he's like, hey, God, can you give me power over the woman in my house so that I can, you know, just rule over her and we can just stop all of this arguing? (laughs) It's like, dang, buddy. He's like, I really want this arguing to stop. And I, my solution is that I should have the power to boss yeah. everybody around. <laughs> like, uh, I see the logic, but at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, so, and he was like, hey, how about this? Okay, you give me a little more strength and I can do all the heavy lifting, all the heavy work like that. And then, you know, let the woman just take orders from me and know what to do from there. <laughs> and so, you know, he was like, look, I won't even mind doing like all of the heavy work as long as I can, you know, kind of be the boss around there. And so the Lord was like, all right, um, sure, here you go. And he did just as the guy asked. And the man went home and he just started bossing the woman around. And the woman didn't like that at all, predictably. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes being bossed around. So yeah. She went up to God and she's like, hey, uh, why'd you give this dude all the power and you didn't give me any? And God was like, oh, well, you never asked. I thought you were happy. <laughs> And it was like, she was happy up until you gave somebody else. Like all the power over. Yeah. she. I love that it was like, she was fine with like equal yeah. work either way. And then he was like, oh, well, you never complained about equal work. And I was like, is that why I'm being punished? Because I never. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she's like, uh, yeah, I'm not satisfied uh, with this guy bossing me around. Like he started doing ever since you gave him all the power. I want half of his power. Take away half of that and then give it to me. And. The Lord just shook his head and he said, you know, I don't take anything back once it's been given. So I'm sorry that you don't like it. You should have come up with him. And then I would have given it half and half if you had both come up together. But like, I can't take it back. Sorry. And so the woman was not satisfied with that answer. She was very mad. 
And it says, she left there spitting like a cat, <laughs> which is a great expression. And where do you think she went when she had a problem with God and what he'd done? She went straight to the devil. Love it. And so what the devil told her was, listen, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You go right back up to God and you ask him to give you those keys that he's got hanging on the mantle over there. And then you bring them here to me. And then I'm going to tell you what you're going to do with those keys so that you can have more power than man. And so she did. She went up to God and she's like, hey, uh, can I have them keys? It's <laughs> like, hey. <laughs> so that's just like really funny. That's like literally kind of what happens. So she goes and she's like, hey, uh, can I have those keys? And God's like, sure. <laughs> and so she takes the keys, goes back down to the devil. And there were three keys on the ring. And the devil told her exactly what those keys were. One was a key to the bedroom. One was a key to the cradle. And the other was a key to the kitchen. And the devil says, here is what you need to do. You need to go home. Don't start a fuss or anything. Just go home and take these keys and lock up everything. So lock up the bedroom, lock up the cradle, lock up the kitchen, lock everything up and wait till the man comes home. And then you're going to be able to have your way. And so she did. The man was, you know, acting stubborn at first, trying to have his way. But it says he couldn't have any peace in the bed. He couldn't get anything to eat. And he couldn't... <laughs> uh, I love the way that this is phrased here too. He's like, he couldn't make no generations to follow him unless he <laughs> took his power and used it in a way that was suitable to the woman. And so like it was doing him no good to have all this power because she wouldn't let him use it like he wanted to. So he tried to bargain with her and he's like, okay, here, I'll give you half of the power if you let me have the keys half of the time. And devil pops right up and is like, nope, don't do that. You keep what you've got and let him keep what he's got. And so- the man goes back up to God and he's like, hey, listen, this is what I want to do. Told him the same plan that he told the woman. Like, I'll give her half of the power if she lets me have half of the keys half of the time. And he's like, if, <laughs> if nothing else, just give me a part of the key to the cradle so that I can know for sure who the father of the children that my wife has are. <laughs> but God's like, even to that, like, nope. You have to just let the woman have it and take her at her word that they're your kids. <laughs> and she's got the keys. I gave them to her. I'd never take back what I've already given away. And so the man came back down and and he did what the, what the woman told him to because that was the only way that he could kind of live his life in peace. And that is how women got power over men today. I love it. <laughs> so because the story that I'm about to tell, very, very similar Except that the informant was a woman, but it shows like how the story was like circulating. And then like after we'll talk about why culturally a, the, a story like this is important yeah. and why it has kind of a relevance and a staying power, why it like still resonates and is still funny. So this one was kind of titled why women always take advantage <laughs> of men. <laughs> <laughs> So exact same story, almost exact same, but collected by a woman. And this time it was kind of in the middle of this conversation in Mules and Men, where everybody is telling Zora Neale Hurston their biggest lie and lie when they're saying like, oh, like, let me tell you a lie. What they mean is like a, a fiction story. Mm -hmm. They're using the word lie differently than what the English connotation is because they were using 
at the time they didn't call it like African American vernacular English, uh-huh. but that's essentially what it yeah. was. And they were using that word in the context that it was, which side note, this is why it is so important to have a distinction between American English and African American vernacular English. Uh-huh. The same way that we recognize that words in British English or Australian English uh-huh. have different meanings and connotations, because there are times in America where a black person will be using African American vernacular English and they will say something, but the person who is hearing it is hearing it with American English and they're assigning an intent or even a meaning of what the person is saying mm-hmm. based on their own language instead of the language that it was being spoken. Yeah. In. I hope that that is clear, but this like the word lie in this context is exactly what I would try to say where if they're like, like, Oh, he's just sitting around telling lies. If you are using American English, you might hear that and be like, Oh, that person is like untrustworthy. They just sit around outside of the, yeah, outside of the store and tell lies. But what they're actually doing is just like telling Telling stories, fiction stories, fake stories. Yeah. Like fictional stories. Yeah. Like they're not, they're not a liar. Like fictional stories as in like, uh, you know, Spider-Man and Batman and not like fictional stories as in like, oh, they're telling made up stories about real life people that because <laughs> it's like it, it doesn't have any. It's not like, oh, it's a different connotation of the word lie. It's like, no, it's a different definition and meaning. Yes. Word. Yeah, Even though yes. it has this, it's the same. It, it's like a, a homonym to another <laughs> word, but or a homophone, not homonym, homophone. It has the same exact sound. I guess homonym too, because it probably spelled the exact same way. I can't remember what homonym yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, me neither. You could tell me anything, and I'll. <laughs> a, homo- a homophone is a musical instrument, and a homonym yeah. is um, something that has to do with church. I don't know. Homily. <laughs> well, it makes. I'm like it makes me. Th- it makes me think of when what's his face uh, when Trevor Noah. He has this funny story in one of his standups where he was getting, he's from South Africa. He was getting tacos for the first time. And the person in the taco truck asked him if he wanted a nap, some napkins. And Trevor Noah was horrified uh. because he was like, why would I need napkins? And the guy's like, oh, it's gonna get messy. <laughs> and Trevor Noah, yeah, like was like, I don't, I don't want to eat tacos. Like if I'm going to need a napkin to eat tacos, like I don't want to eat tacos. That's horrifying uh-huh. because the word napkin that he was thinking of, the definition is a diaper. Uh-huh. And so when he heard somebody <laughs> asking him, do you need a napkin? He was like, why would I need a diaper yeah. to eat a taco? And the guy's <laughs> like, it's going to get messy. And it's like, then why would I eat something that's going to make me require a diaper? Yeah. Um, which that's a, that's a fair that question. That is a fair question. But yeah, it's... It's the, the yes, the word is exactly the same, but it has an entirely different like right. definition. So, just so we can be clear on our definitions, homonym, two or more words having the same spelling or pronunciation, but different meanings and origins, and homophone, very similar, two or more words having the same pronunciation, but different meanings, origins, or spelling. So, it's kind of like a square rectangle sort of a situation. Like a homophone is a homonym, but not all homonyms are homophones. It's fascinating. The more you know. So homonyms. So in context of what we're talking about, they were sitting around telling Zora Neale Hurston lies. And as she's like recording their their big lies, this one person after 
a woman was done telling like a story. It says Gene rolled his eyeball his eyeballs into one corner of his head and he basically was like okay now you're telling a big lie that's not a story that you heard anywhere you came up with that big lie yourself and the woman in the story armetta was saying no she didn't i've been knowing that story everybody knows that story that she's just been doing and other people were like oh yeah me too i've heard that story before and then this other man george thomas is right he says Don't you know you can't get the best of a woman in a talking game? Her tongue is all the weapon a woman's got. She could have had more sense, but she told God, no, she'd rather take it out in hips. (laughs) She's got plenty of hips, (laughs) plenty of mouth, and no brains. Oh, gosh. And then this woman, Matilda, was like, yes, women got brains, but they've got too much sense to go bragging about it. The lady people always got the advantage of men because God fixed it that way. And then this person was like, what advantage do they got? We have all the strength. All the laws are like written by men for men. And we got all the money. You don't get a thing unless we take pity on you. And that's the setup for this woman, Matilda, then saying, this is why women always take advantage over men. Which, again, I love the conversation, like the back and forth of it all, like here, like it in context to be like, oh, why was this story so important to the people? Like, why was it kind of this like back and forth? So Mathilda, after he's like, oh, we just take pity on you and you give it to us. Matilda or Mathilda, depending on that T-H or T that's in there. She's like, that's just the point. You do give it to us, but how come you do it? And that's where we launch into the story. So she begins, on the first day, God made a man and a woman, and he put them in the house together to live. Way back in those days, the woman was just as strong as the man, and they both did the same things. But it says they used to get fussing about who was going to do what. And sometimes they'd fight, and they were so even balanced with in regards to like strength with each other and equality that neither (laughs) one of them could whip the other in a fight. So one day the man says to himself, I'm going to go up to God and see if he'll just give me a little bit more strength so that I can whip this woman and make her mind, which I think is really interesting because in your version that like a man had told, he was basically just like, Oh no, no, no. It's, it's just so that I get, I'm going to be stronger so I can do heavy lifting. So I can do heavy lifting and get my way. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah. in this one, when a woman's telling it, it's like the man goes up and is like, Oh, I want to be able to whip a woman and make her mind me. Cause I'm tired of the way that things are. So he went up to God. He's like, good morning, old father, which I, I'm like, Oh, I like that. Instead of it being like, God, or like heavenly father, like one on it. It's like, hey, old father. Hey, old man. Perfect. So God was like, oh, hey, what are you doing up here at my throne so early in the morning? And the man was like, oh, I'm just really, I'm really troubled in my mind. Nothing can ease my spirit except you. And God was like, <laughs> oh, okay, tell me what you need and I'll hear and answer your prayer. So he's like, old maker. I love because like the woman makes it like this long drawn out prayer where she's like, 
With the morning stars glistening in your shiny crown, with the dust from your footsteps making worlds upon worlds, with the blazing bird we call the sun flying out of your right hand in the morning and consuming all day the flesh and blood of stump black darkness and comes flying home every evening to rest on your left hand and never once in your eternal years mistook your left hand for your right. <laughs> yeah, it's also funny in contrast because it's like in the one that the man told, he's like, I just went up and I said what it was. I was like, hey, this is what I want. And God's like, oh yeah, that makes sense, sure. And in this one, it's like almost like the, the feel I get is he's going up and like sucking up to him. Like, yeah, he's like, oh, you're amazing. You're so great. Yeah. We know you've never done anything wrong in your whole life and we love you for it. But it was a very beautiful prayer. I will concede that as well. It was very beautiful. <laughs> And then he says, I ask that you please give me more strength than the woman you gave me so I can make her mind. I know you don't want to be always having to come <laughs> down past the moon and the stars to straighten out the arguments that I'm having. And so if you give me a little bit more strength, I'll make sure that she stays in line and that we don't have these arguments. Like, you won't have to deal with these arguments anymore. And God was like, all right. I'll give you more strength than the woman. So, and again, I love that it's not this like, oh, I promise to lift up heavy things. No, the woman telling it. It's like, no, it just went up as like, I want to be able to boss around my woman. And God's like, okay. <laughs> because you asked so nicely, like, I'll give it to you. So it says the man ran all the way down, <laughs> down the stairs from Couldn't heaven. wait. <laughs> He's like, ah, I can't wait to hit this woman. So it says he was so anxious to try his strength on the woman that he didn't take his time running down the stairs. So he got to the house and said, woman, here's your boss. God told me to handle you in whatever way I please. <laughs> I don't remember that happening. <laughs> but okay. This is why I don't like men telling me that they speak for God. I'm like, I don't know if God said that to you or not. Sounds, sounds like your ego. So the woman, this is a woman, immediately flew off fighting him right away. <laughs> Hey, as she should, this is, this is a woman retelling this story that a woman yeah. retold and I'm backing her up saying as she should. Yeah, like if she really doesn't have as much strength anymore, she's got to use the element of surprise, you know, Boo. <laughs> catch him off guard. Yeah. Uh, it says she fought him frightening, but he beat her because he had gotten his God given strength His God given <laughs> strength. So it said that, you know, she waited a little bit. Stopped, stopped being winded. It said she got her wind, you know, she <laughs> caught her breath for a little bit. And then she tried again, but he beat her once again. So she paused, got herself together and she tried a third time. But once again, he beat her and she realized, oh man, he's going to be beating me like every single time. <laughs> and it said he was so proud he could whip her at last that he crowed over her and made her do a lot of things she didn't like. And so, yeah, it was like just immediately like, not just, oh, I'm the boss of you, or this like, oh, I'll lift the heavy things, I just yeah. get the last say, whatever. No, it was like, oh, now you have to do all like the the heavy work, the manual labor. Like the stuff, that, yeah, you have to do all the stuff that I don't like and that you don't like. Yeah. You have to do all the crappy jobs. Yeah. And he told her, as long as you obey me, I'll be good to you. But every time you rear up, I'm going to put plenty of wood on your back and plenty of water in your eyes. I don't like that. Yeah. She's going to be crying. So this woman was so mad. Obviously, for legitimate reasons, that she went. You'd be mad too. Oh yeah. I'd oh, one hundred percent. We'd all be mad. I'm mad, and it's not even happening to me. 
It's not even a real story. What I get frustrated <laughs> about mad. is when people are like, oh, yeah. And for some reason, like the woman was like really ornery about that. And I'm like, yeah, I think anybody <laughs> would be ornery about that. It's like when my husband yeah. was like, is it sexist that I really like to come home to a home cooked meal? And I'm like, no, I also <laughs> like to come home to a home cooked meal. <laughs> What's sexist is if you just expect that like, oh, that's a woman's job. She should always be doing that. Which he does not think. <laughs> he just enjoys coming home to like a lot of the house chores already being done and a home cooked meal. As do I also. It's a good thing you have a maid and a personal chef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. Then I wouldn't have to beat my husband so much. Put wood on his back and make him cry. Yeah. That's my plan. So the woman was mad and she went straight up to heaven and stood before the Lord. And so she didn't waste her words. So none of this like flowery prayer <laughs> nonsense. She was like, Lord, I'm coming before you today because I want back my strength and my power that I used to have. And God was like, oh, no, you have the exact same strength and power that you've always had. And she was like, what? Why is it then that my husband, who like we used to be like evenly matched, why can he suddenly beat me in a fight every single time? And God was like, oh, because he came up here and he asked for more strength. And since he asked so nice, I gave it to him. And I mean, you've never asked me for more strength. So like, obviously, I didn't give it to you. And she was like, okay, then God, I'm asking you for it now. Just give me the same as you gave him. And God shook his head and he was like, it's too late now, woman. <laughs> I love the like woman. Uh. It's too late now because what I give, I never take back. And I gave him more strength than you. And no matter how much strength I give you, he'll always have more. He worded his wish very yeah. precisely. He must have experienced with a genie or something in the past. Been burned before. It's like, I'm going to careful. I don't want more strength. I want more strength than her. Yeah. Always. Always. So she starts lifting. She starts lifting weights, taking steroids, whatever she does to get stronger. Like, I don't even have yeah. to do anything. I'll just get more More swole. Yeah. So, of course, the woman was mad, realized God's not going to be helpful in this situation. So, she went straight to the devil and told him what had happened, which I love that for her. Love that. <laughs> and we on the podcast love stories about the devil. 100%. Um, and it's just like that quote that I had said earlier about like how so often the devil seems to be stronger than God in these stories. I'm like, it's not even just, you know, African American folklore. That seems to be the situation with a lot of like folklore, including the devil is like the devil for some reason always seems to be uh, stronger or more clever than God. Yeah, I was gonna say not stronger, but it's like a fox type situation mm. where like has to be more clever has because he's not stronger. Yeah. He has to use like wile and wits to get his way. Like find the loopholes. And yeah. Which is why the devil works so well with women. Not because of all the loopholes. <laughs> no, but be because <laughs> You said that as if the connection were supposed to be like blatantly, glaringly obvious. I'm so and I'm sorry. like, <laughs> like what? What? <laughs> because women are always going to be less strong than men. Uh, not 
always people know what I mean. Because there's like that physical disadvantage, women always have to be like more clever. Mm, gotcha. Like it's a, a fox situation again. Yeah. Wherever there's that like that power imbalance, if you don't have yeah. the brute strength, then you have to have the wit cleverness. Yeah. And also what they talked about in this story or in the like conversational lead up to the story about like how the way that the society is structured has been so heavily favored towards men. Yeah. That like, you know, and like women also can't just be like, oh, well, I'm going to break the rules or do whatever, you know, like they within the messed up system that they find themselves in, they have to find the way to make it work yeah. to their advantage. Like, again, like finding loopholes or whatever, I guess. I, I'm seeing, I'm making the connection now. I understand where you're coming from. I don't think you're just a complete insane person for saying something off the wall like I did uh, a few moments ago. Yeah, no, it was, it, I realized it was because I had left more unsaid than you were like, oh, yeah. Katrina, I couldn't connect all the dots because you didn't, you didn't leave enough dots. I was not in your brain to have the same context as you did. But now I do. And it makes sense. I got you. Perfect. So back to the woman. And the devil. My personal favorite person. So the devil said, ma'am, no need to be discouraged. Listen to me and you'll come out more than a conqueror. I love his like, take them frowns off your face and turn around and go right back on up to heaven and ask God to give you the bunch of keys hanging on his mantelpiece. Then bring it back and I'll show you what to do with them. So the woman did just that, went back up to heaven again, says she was mighty tired. It's a lot of stairs. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Had to climb all the way up, all the way down, yeah. all the way back up. Uh, it says, but she was more outdone than she was tired. So she climbed all night long and got back up to heaven again. And when she got before the throne, it said butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. I don't know what that means. Hmm. I don't know either. So when she got back up to heaven, she said, Oh, Lord, master of the rainbows, I know your power. You never make two mountains without you put a valley in between. I know you can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the same, like, yeah. buttering up method. Which is ironic because butter wouldn't melt in her. Oh, <laughs> So God was like, okay, ask for what you want, woman. And she was like, God, I want that bunch of keys that's hanging on your mantle. And God was like, oh, yeah, take them. God, he's so free with his keys. I'm less free with my keys. So the woman took the keys and she hurried back to the devil with them. And there were just three keys on the bunch, which I'm like, that's not that many keys. No, not no. at all. You'd think God would have more keys than that. Maybe he does. He just doesn't keep those ones on his mantle. Mm. He's like, that's, that's fair. secret keys. So the devil was like, do you see these three keys? They have more power in them than all the strength that man can ever get if you handle them right. So the first key is for the kitchen. And you know a man always favors his stomach, which I was like, hilarious. True. <laughs> <laughs> and the second one is the key to the bedroom. And he doesn't like to be shut out from that either. And this last key is the key to the cradle. And he doesn't want to be cut off from his generations at all, which I love. Listen, I love that. I love that the three keys that they're saying, like control man, is his stomach, which I'm like, hilarious. Like the bedroom, so funny. So I find it really sweet and sentimental that that the third key is he doesn't want to be cut off from his generations, like from like his kids, his progeny. I think that's sweet. Yeah. 
That is sweet. So the devil said, take these keys and go lock up everything and wait till he comes to you. Don't unlock anything until he uses his strength for your benefit and your desires. Which I'm like, yes, yes. If he's going to use if he's going to use his strength to like overpower her or like force her to do anything, she's like, oh, fine, you can do that. But I'm not going to open the kitchen up. I'm going to not open the bedroom up and no, no access to your generations. I love it. So the woman thanked the devil and told him if it wasn't for you, Lord knows what us poor woman folk would do. I love it that she says, Lord knows. Uh, just because she's talking to the devil, and I find that hilarious. <laughs> it's like the devil, the champion of women. <laughs> <laughs> so she started to leave, and the devil stopped her, and he was like, okay, just really quick, one more thing. Don't go home bragging about your keys. Just lock up everything and say nothing until you get asked. And then don't talk too much. Keep the keep an air of mystery. Yeah, I was gonna it. take offense like to that because I was like, what? Because because women talk too much because they always have always mouthing off. That's what I thought that they were getting at, but it's not. He was just like, oh no no no. No, the devil does not disparage women in such no, a way. He would never. He better not. He might lose his status as favorite <laughs> folklore character in your mind yep. and heart. So the woman went home and she did like the devil told her. When the man came home from work, she was just sitting on the porch, singing a song. It said about peck on the wood, make the bed go good. What? Is that in the story? Yeah, it says peck on the wood, make the bed go good. She's just sitting on the porch singing some song. (laughs) So when the man found that the doors were locked that used to sit wide open, it said he swelled up like a big lumber after a rain. (laughs) Like pine lumber after a rain, which I was like, oh, that's evocative language, like soaking up all in all that water, except he was uh, puffing up full of anger. So first thing he tried to do was break in because he figured that his strength could overcome all obstacles. Mm. But no, not with God's keys. This is not a problem you can out strengthen. Uh, You can't out. I liked it. Oh, okay. It was an unusual use of words but it it tracks it makes sense it It was an unusual use of words it communicates i like it that's gonna be the tagline for the podcast an unusual (laughs) use of words (laughs) so when he saw that he couldn't break in he asked the woman who locks this door and she just said me (laughs) and then he's like where'd you get the keys from god gave them to me She's following the devil's uh, advice of like, don't say a lot. Don't brag on it. Just sit with it. So he ran up to God and said, God, the woman locked me out of my vittles. I love that word for food. Uh, My bed and my generations. And she says that you gave her those keys. And God was like, I did give her the keys, but the devil showed her how to use them. (laughs) He said, well, okay, give me some keys just like them so that she can't get full control over me. And God was like, no, what I give, I give. Woman asked for the keys. I gave her the keys. That's it. Those are the keys. And they says, well, how can I know about my generations? And he was like, you're just gonna have to ask the woman. So the man went back. And again, I think that's so interesting that like, that's the one, that's the sticking point of like, well, how am I going to know about my descendants? How am I going to know if those are my kids? And he's like, you're just gonna have to ask the woman. If you treat her right, you won't have to wonder Mm. will you nope anyway so the man went back down it says he submitted himself to the woman and she opened up the doors he wasn't satisfied 
but he had to give in. So after a while, he said to the woman, okay, how about let's, let's divide these keys up. I'll give you half of my strength if you let me hold the keys in my hands. And the woman, you know, thought that over, but the devil popped up. And I love, because in my mind, there's that imagery of the devil popping up like on her on shoulder. shoulder. Yeah, same with me. It's like, no. <laughs> no angel on the other side. Just the devil being like, hey, 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 hey. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. He's trying to pull a fast one on you. And I know something about pulling a fast one. Because I'm the devil. So the devil's like, tell him no. Tell him he can keep all of his strength and you're going to keep your keys. So the woman wouldn't trade with him and the man had to mortgage his strength to her so that he could live. And that's why the man makes and the woman takes. <laughs> Says, you men is still bragging about your strength and the woman is sitting on the keys and letting you blow off till she gets ready to put the bridle on you. That's how Mathilda like ends... So then the man looks at this lady, Matilda, and says, you're just like a hen in the barnyard. You cackle so much, you give the rooster the blues. <laughs> and then the conversation just, it kind of goes on, them talking to each other. And then another story gets told, like, in the process. And there's kind of that, like, back and forth. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting about this story is kind of, you know, like what we had talked about of the use of the religious characters in a story to kind of explain how the world works. And again, it's this like Christian worldview, Christian mythology that was put on people because they had been taken out of their home countries, their home cultures, yeah. enslaved for generations. All of that was taken away from them and they're rebuilding. So there's this kind of mirroring almost of an Adam and Eve Man and woman story, like this like origin story of like men and women and why things are the way that they are and this joking colloquialism. And so it's like this Christianity that was like forced on people and they're able to like take stories that they culturally probably already had, take elements from what was like forced on them and make up their own stories to explain like why things are the way that they are mm -hmm. is really beautiful and really interesting to me. We talked about this a little as we were retelling it, but the battle between brawn and brains and how in folk tales around the world, that comes up a lot. Anytime somebody there's like a power imbalance, somebody who has like brute strength, whether it's like an army or the majority of people. Um, so they have power from majority. You get these stories about like, okay, you might have the power, but we have the brains. And even if in real life, it doesn't always work out that way because it's like, obviously there are some men who still beat their wives and force them to do what they want them to do. Uh -huh. There are still, you know, these stories, whether it's wish fulfillment or not, these stories that kind of explain that and explain how people who are like clever tricksters can, they can overpower the other person through their brains. So the other reason why I wanted to retell these stories is to showcase some of what Zora Neale Hurston was trying to capture with 
collecting folktales and finding these variants that are slightly different from each other as she was like traveling around collecting stories. And so it's like you have one version being told by a woman that was recorded and written down in Mules and Men, and then another that was written, that was told to her by a man that was written down in Every Tongue Got to Confess. But we also get this sense of how these stories were put in context by the ethnography that she was doing, that she was adding information about how these stories were being told and why the back and forth between individual people. And it's just, it's fascinating. It shows her craft. Zora Neale Hurston is brilliant always. And then finally, I think this story also shows something that she has said herself about the nature of stories. In folklore, as in everything else that people create, the world is a great big old serving platter, and all the local places are like eating plates. Whatever is on the plate must come out of the platter, but each plate has a flavor of its own because the people take the universal stuff and season it to suit themselves on the plate. And this local flavor is what's known as originality. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inge for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar Remember how Dom is like the new Zora Neale Hurston? Oh my gosh, I had totally <laughs> forgot about that until right this moment. I forgot that she was like the state folklorist of Florida. Didn't even mention it in the whole episode. Forgot. Do you remember Damn. how Dom's mom works with your dad? Yeah. That's I I had forgotten that until just now. <laughs> That's so weird. It's such a weird like, yeah, small world connections.